everybody, and welcome to a special episode of the Mountain Bike Podcast, episode 63. Especial. Yes. Oh, yeah. We did just go to Mexican food with our special guest, actually, uh, Jeff Cayley from Worldwide Cyclery. What's up, man? How's it going, man? Margaritas were amazing at that place. What's that place called? <laughs> uh, Los, Los Compadres. Compadres. Yeah. Go yeah. there if you're in Reno. Incredible. Super good stuff. Uh, so, Jeff, you've joined us on a podcast prior. You were the CEO of Worldwide Cyclery. <clears throat> you started it. Uh, you are currently running it. And we've talked about that a lot of the time. You're the sponsor of the podcast, actually. So yeah. Worldwide Cyclery is. We're very grateful for that. From what we gather, our listeners are really grateful for that because not only are they getting parts and all that stuff, good prices, but then they also get like the knowledge. It's cool to have them here. And we actually got to show them our trails and do all that. We stuff. got to shred all day. Yeah. It was, yeah, good. It was, it was a good day. Lots of shuttling. We rode bikes all day and it was amazing. And yeah. then we had guys for that. And then we had tacos and margaritas. It was yeah. great. Yeah. So yeah. we're just, I love my life. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're just going to do more of like a, a, I guess a conversation on a few random points that we've discussed that we feel like are interesting and, and can cause some, some thought on your end, perhaps some, you know, some information as well. You guys are in town uh, because we're awesome and you're visiting us, but also you're in town for Interbike. <laughs> we're in town for Interbike as well. Yeah. But I mean, I think Interbike's not going to top hanging out and riding with you guys. Oh, yeah. Look at that. No way. Look at that. Yeah, take that, Interbike. No way. Um, we'll talk a bit about that. Uh, we'll talk about a bunch of different things. Um, if you want to find out more about what Worldwide Cyclery does, uh, they put out a ton of super valuable content. You can do so. Just go to WorldwideCyclery.com. If you want to get parts and that sort of stuff from them, I'd recommend that you go to our store. And then you click on the Worldwide Cyclery banner because then we get a cut of that, Stephen. Yep. So then that means that we can continue to make this podcast and justify all the time we put into it. So, exactly. uh, yeah, much appreciated. Uh, I guess the first thing that I kind of want to talk about with all of this uh, what is- What really grinds your gears? <laughs> well, what we just did today, because it's foreign. It's, it's mostly foreign for a guy like me. I very rarely shuttle. And yeah. We just shuttled all day, mm -hmm. right? I'm typically the dude that's pedaling up and then pedaling down and of course. getting in watts, you know, that sort of thing. The Lycra dude. Uh, so I'm going to play kind of the role of innocence here. Mm -hmm. And I want to find out the the do's and don'ts of shuttling because I think even the dude that's, that's in Lycra right now on a trainer listening to this podcast, that he could truly benefit from shuttling. Um, Absolutely. Like in a, in a big way. Um, so I guess uh, first things first, how do you think that sort of person or just people in general can benefit from shuttling other than the fact that you don't have to do, deal with climbing and then you get a lot of descending, but like, what are the actual true benefits that you see to making you, you know, mountain biking better? Or are you a better mountain biker? What do you say, Steve? I mean, uh, first off, I think that shuttling in general allows you the opportunity to focus on the descending, mm -hmm. focus on the, the technical skills required for it, not hit the descent after you've just done 2000 feet of climbing mm -hmm. and be already suffering, be already absent-minded, not focusing on the trail and just get down the trail. It teaches you to actually look ahead, focus on the obstacles, mm -hmm. you know, basically learn the trail and read the trail as you go yeah, and give you better understanding of it and build your technical skill. Jeff, you used to race downhill. Mm -hmm. um, did you utilize? I assume that you utilize shuttling and yeah, training and everything all else, time. For it, right? Um, <clears throat> I guess how when you shuttle, do you actually have like? I mean, these days it's much more relaxed. But when you were actually like racing and like working on improvement, that sort of thing, did you like shuttle and set objectives to like try a new line? 
or did you actually have like some structure or framework almost to it? Or was it just, you know, free good times with the boys? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there was certainly times where it was, we went out and it was just good times with the boys and go do some laps and have fun. But there was times where we went out with specific reasons. And a lot of it was to, um, you know, do timed runs to focus on cornering skills, mm -hmm. honing any type of skills you want. And then a lot of it was product testing, right? So it was like figuring out tire pressures, figuring out shift points, like looking at it as if it was a downhill race. Like, where am I going to shift here? You know, how am I going to pedal here? So I'm recovered by this point or that point. Um, so yeah, there, there was times where we went out and we just focused specifically on, you know, things that we really were, you know, cared about that mattered, that, that brought us the results we were looking for on race day. And that's mm -hmm. what we did shuttling for. Some interesting, I want to jump down the rabbit hole of the product testing side of things. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this today and how, uh, when you make changes, even if you're making a change to a bike that needs to, you know, for climbing, let's say like yeah. you're making a setting where you really want to dial it in for climbing. I don't think that I, I guess that people, when they, a lot of the time when they make that setting, they just make the setting and they ride for a while and they go, oh yeah, I guess it feels better. But it really doesn't replace the fact of riding the same section of trail yeah. over again. And then the cool part about shuttling is it allows you to do so under the same freshness, so to speak, or within mm -hmm. reason, right? It allows you to focus. Mm-hmm. And that's hugely helpful because you can't really compare apples to apples and you're tweaking suspension or different things like that. And then, you know, you have to go and you know, if you're just the trails changing constantly, it could totally change how it works. I, I think we should see more XC dudes shuttling. I know that sounds yeah, weird, but absolutely. dudes in Lycra and on really short forks and that sort of stuff, you should be out shuttling too. Yeah. And on that same bike and wear your Lycra. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, even though I guess that today we're all wearing baggies. We are. Uh, some knee pads, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it, I think more people should shuttle. Um, there's a bro, I guess, association with it, but it can be broken. I think mostly just cross country liker guys think that there's like a bro association with it. And maybe uh -huh. there's like, is a little bit, but not really. Not I really. Mean, it's people who like everyone loves downhills. Yeah. Um, some people like to suffer uphill. You, you more so than Steven and more so than myself, right, but, right. um, going downhill is amazing and shuttling can just, you know, bring that to life. So it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was definitely a bro aspect today. I mean, we were using two Tacomas with <laughs> very good. We point. were like neither very were bro. Neither yeah, were lifted. Neither were, yeah. Lifted. Yeah. Neither were no light bars and exactly right. I so guess there's no quickly Santa Cruz losing bro bike. points. Yeah, <laughs> Santa Cruz. Yeah. yeah. So I'm <laughs> sorry. Quickly losing bro points. Um, yeah, it's it's unlike with the Lycra guys too. I know that like you, if you're listening to this and you're an XC sort of dude, you know you might feel honestly like ashamed for not earning your way to the top and I'm using air quotes. You can't see that, but not earning your way to the top. Mm. But the fact is you've earned your way to the top how many times already? And yeah, you'll yeah. continue so, to do that. Yeah. Like it's, it's really, it's a good thing to be able to do this. And yeah. I mean, that's why bike parks are awesome is because yeah. you have a lift being, you know, the yeah. actual chairlift that can take you right up to the top. But uh, yeah, shuttling is a good way. I guess logistics. Let's talk about that really quick. We had two trucks. Tailgate pads are usually the best for shuttling because they're easy. It doesn't require like, you know, taking wheels off or clamping things down. You just put the bike on the back, yeah, basically. Super easy. Um, and then we have in, in a Toyota Tacoma, it was plenty room, uh, for five bikes, uh, for all of us, you probably could have fit another bike on there. Yeah. Um, and it would be fine. And, uh, yeah, just, uh, I guess tailgate pads. Let's talk about that really quick and which ones we prefer. Um, 
I, which one do you have? Let's start with yours, Jeff. So I have the OG Dekine one, the first, well, so they had original Dekine one. I think that must've been the first one, right? And then they yeah. came out the one with the straps and I got that right away. Yeah. And then I actually, so I have a backup camera on the Tacoma, which you do yeah. too. So I had to cut my Dekine pad. I cut a rectangle out of the pad so I could use my backup camera. And I took it to a tailor and I had Smart. her sew all around it and like stitch it up real nice. Yeah. Um, and so I don't want to get rid of it because of that, yeah. but like, the a, a number of the guys at the shop have the race face ones and they're awesome. They've got way more padding and bigger straps and they're really cool and kind of like your Evoc one. It's it's super nice. Yeah, the I I still feel like I don't love the Evoc one for a number of reasons. You don't love the screen printing. Yeah, the branding's a little <clears throat> bold. You don't and like I'm, the atlas on the back of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'm much more subtle. Like yeah. a, you know, just my my personal aesthetic. I don't like things to be too crazy. Uh, but functionally, it's a pretty good pad. Mm -hmm. um, it has like little foam kind of things at the top to allow separation and kind of keep your bike in line. Yeah. Uh, all of them have straps in, in our case and we are using the straps today. Yeah, I always advocate using them. There's no point not them. to. Yeah. Like uh, we've not used them before in situations when I've been in a vehicle that's shuttling and then like you go around a fast turn and the bikes start to lean and things are hitting. It's not good. Um, I, and then on tailgate pads though, one thing you have to keep an eye out for is that there are two different sizes. And if you have a mid-size truck, you need to get the smaller size. Yeah, you get the medium large, and then all the others, you get the large XL. On a full size, you can run the skinnier tailgate pad if you want, but why not utilize all the space? Looks weird. Yeah, it yeah, it does look weird. weird. Use the right size. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, uh, I guess another thing with the logistics is we had two trucks and we had five people, five seats in the car. So we were able to just interchange those vehicles. So in this case, we self-shuttled. So that basically means that we had two people. Those two people never leave their keys away from them. They are yeah, always on that. their person. Yeah, always remember your keys. Yes. Always. We yeah. didn't do that on when we did Porcupine Rim in Moab. I had a knee injury that was like not supposed to be like keeping me pedaling and we got to the bottom and everybody was insanely cooked. And then I had to ride. It was like another, I think like 16 miles or something back up, uh, climb our way back up to the top of it. It was rough, man. That's when you make the, the guy who forgot the keys. Yeah. He's the one or he or she. Yeah. Yeah. Is the one that's supposed to do it. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. So, but, uh, Wait, was it you that forgot the keys? No, but, but you I, had to ride. Yeah. I was, oh. I was the fit XC. He's a nice so. guy. Yeah. 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 That's the other thing. The yeah. plight of the XC guy when he rides with Enduro bricks. Oh, you can, you can climb you back can up. Go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but we were able to just leave one truck at the top, one truck at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, I mean, the first thing you want to do is leave a truck at the bottom, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then from there you want to then go up to the top with all of your stuff. I know this sounds simple, but honestly, when you get a little tired and everything else, you can make silly mistakes with this and then find yourself yeah. in a bad situation. Yeah. So, and then you bring the truck up to the top of the bikes. Everybody does a self check for their helmet, their gloves, everything else that they might take off when they're done riding and they bring them with them. And then their drivers always have their keys. It's also a really good idea to make sure that you, you know, each person brings their phone if possible, because then if somebody does have to go get the bikes, then you can keep tabs and see yeah. what's going on. But one of the things that we've also done, um, after work shuttling on the trail that we did Tyrolean. It's a short trail. It's only, you know, start to finish is about 12 miles or 12 minutes long. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we would do is after work, everybody would show up at the bottom mm -hmm. in five or six vehicles mm -hmm. and park all of them but one. Everybody shut up the top. And then you basically get five to six runs because you just bring one truck up at a time. Cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, after nice. everybody. Yeah. Or you can ask a kind soul to be like your shuttler, right? And then yeah, that yeah, person yeah. is just, True. you know, the one that's driving, bless their hearts if they're the one that's yeah. doing that. Um, yeah. Another thing is reconsider your hydration strategy. If it's just going downhill, you may not need to carry that bottle or yeah. you may not need to carry the pack. Yeah. Um, tools though, usually in most cases when you're shuttling, you're probably doing some stuff that can be a little gnarly. So I would carry that sort of stuff with you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess, is there anything else to add on shuttling? I know this seems like a simple thing, but they're things that we don't really think about all the time. I would say put food and water in the trucks. Mm -hmm. So when you're switching trucks in and out, you got food and water. That's, that's always nice. That's a good simple, point. But yeah. Oh, ask your, your mates that you're riding with to make sure that they are showered and use deodorant <laughs> because you'll be packed into a car going from top yeah. to bottom. And it's nice if somebody doesn't smell terrible. Right? And make sure you fuel up before you go. Yes. All the vehicles have full tanks of gas yeah, or yeah. diesel. Yeah. It's an efficient way to get in a, a lot of focus descending. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of smiling. Yeah. It's good fun today. smiles. Good fun today. We wrote, can we talk a little bit about what we wrote yeah, today? Absolutely. So we rode uh, a trail that if you come to our region here, it's called Tyrolean downhill. Um, well, ends, first. Uh, yeah, that's true. First, we did an XC loop to warm up. And I actually think that's kind of like a good idea for shuttling. Yeah. Because if we had just dropped you guys right into uh, O SpaghettiOs, which was the, yeah. the final trail we would have done, that would have been a very cold start mm -hmm. and a hard start. So, sure. yeah. Um, so we did an XC loop. Mm -hmm. And then after that, we ended up going into a trail called Tyrolean Downhill. If you ever come to Tahoe on any sort of vacation, I would recommend checking out this. I know a lot of people just check out the Flume Trail. The flume trail is not very exciting. The views are incredible, but it's not very exciting. And this one is a it's ton of fun. Yeah. And you, I, I don't know if people actually do service shuttles. Like, can you rent a shuttle for Tyrolean? Yeah. You at uh, Flume Trail Bikes right there at the Tunnel Creek Cafe and Flume Trail Bikes is the same company owned by Max and Patty Jones. Um, they do shuttles to Sweet. the top of Tahoe Meadows. So you can do TRT to Tunnel Creek yeah. or you can do Tyrolean right from the same spot. And you like that one, Jeff. Yeah, I think that was probably one of the most fun trails I've ridden in my life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was incredible. It was yeah. super like fun. Jumpy and fun and turny. And yeah, and you didn't need to have it memorized, right? I feel like a yeah. lot of times when I go and I travel and I meet up with friends and, I mean, none of the trails we rode, if you've never ridden them before, it's kind of hard. You don't know where you are. There's mm -hmm. like trees everywhere. There's pine needles. You know, it's just hard to see through. But yeah. Tyrolean was pretty wide open yeah. um, in almost all the sections. So you had a lot of, you know, view in front of you. So you could be like, oh, I can see this way ahead. I know how to ride right now. And it's, it was just so much fun. The dirt was amazing. The corners, the rock gardens, the jumps. I mean, yeah, it's I, was, I was having fun. Big yeah. Time. I think that when you're searching for a trail to bring new people on, or they can be new to mountain biking or just new to the region, line of sight is a really good thing. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. Yep, yeah, that's a good point there. Then we rode some really gnarly stuff, trails that shouldn't be mentioned, I guess, on the podcast. No, we can mention it. Okay, uh-oh, SpaghettiOs is one of the names. Yeah. Uh, Sand Hill is another name. Yeah. Very similar in the sense that it's very steep, very loose, very mm -hmm. rutted. Um, very primitive. Very primitive stuff. Yeah. When you're riding this primitive trail, primitive trail, is there anything that you guys change about your riding technique when it's like really loose and steep like this? Because this is like silty, pine needly, sandy, you know, a foot deep or more of really kind of loose stuff. Is there something that you do like that you change with your technique and stuff like that versus something that's like hard pack? I mm. personally forget that I have a front brake. First thing. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that helps. <laughs> Why do you do that? Like what, what's the benefit, I guess, on the trail? Uh, the benefit is I want to be able to steer and as long as the front wheel is spinning with the ground, I have some traction. Mm. As soon as I lock up the front brake, it's unpredictable what it does. Yes. And you can really steer with the back end of the, of the bike 
with the break. Yeah, that's a good point. I think like a, a lot of it too, if you're in ruts and I see people grab their front brake in ruts mm -hmm. and what that happens on a mountain bike then is your front tire wants to climb out of the rut from one side to the other. Yeah. And when you're in this deep kind of loose rutted stuff like that, that can be rough. Yep. The one thing I always think about is getting not not back, but low. Getting low, of mm -hmm. course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because if you get too far back, then your front end feels like, you know, it's just wandering, doesn't have any any sort of feel or, or guidance for you. Uh, but if you just get low, and I mean, you know, your chest is to the bars. You yeah. Know, and you're, you're, you're low. You're kissing stem. And you're in your butts on the rear tire. So yep. you are back. Yeah. Don't worry. Like you'll get back. You don't have to ever tell yourself to get back. Like we're really good at naturally doing that. Yep. It's just getting low. That's really hard. So that's one thing I think of Jeff. How about you? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, those are good tips. And then of course, when it's really soft like that, mm -hmm. you just have to be careful and aware of your brakes because nor if it's hard pack and you have traction, you can, you know, pull your brakes decently firm and your wheels just slow you down. Well, when it's loose like that, you're noticing because you just have less traction, even in a straight line, your wheels will just lock up. Yeah. So you just have to be very cognizant of like how hard you're pulling those brakes and be careful of it. And then Make sure you have the right tires and the right bike for some of that stuff. We were a bit undergunned on the mid travel 29ers on some of those trails today, yeah. um, which yeah. makes it interesting, but, yeah. you know, it would, would have been a bit safer and more wide open if we had, you know, maybe even a downhill bike or just, <laughs> or just a long travel bike. You know? yeah. 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 It certainly helps. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. So let's, let's shift gears here. Let's mm -hmm. get into a question that we got from Evan and I actually saved this one knowing that you guys are going to come here. Uh, he says, I've been going to a bike shop in my town since I opened up earlier this year. I buy all my parts through them and get service done there because I want to help their shop stay open. So like you hear this, like, I think Seth's bike hack, bikes, bike hacks just did like, a, yeah, he, did. he just did a video on this recently where he was talking about, you know, supporting bike shops, whether it's online or whether it's, you know, brick and mortar and his kind of theory on it. And it's almost like preached with guilt. I think Seth's bike hacks even it like hit on this. Yeah. Seth was talking about how it's like preached with guilt, like support your local bike shop. Mm -hmm. Kind of like if you don't, it's going to go away. You know, it's like an obligation that we have as riders. So with that in mind, he says, I wanted to, I, I do this because I want their shop to stay open. The problem is that it takes forever to get any part I order through warranty or new. For example, I ordered a dropper post four weeks ago and have yet to hear back from them. Four weeks is a long time. That's way too long. That's, he says, crazy. whenever I call, they always tell me that they'll call me. And he says in quotes, as soon as it gets in, I know the post isn't on back order. And sometimes I get the vibe that they just haven't put the order in at all. I get that vibe sometimes too. When you, yeah. When you call up bike <laughs> shops like that, he says, my question is how long should I let this kind of thing go on before I switch to another shop or just buy my stuff online? On one hand, I'd like to help them out, but on the other, I'd like to ride my bike thoughts. And I want to preface this argument in the sense that worldwide cyclery is very much an online retailer, but you also have retail locations, brick and mortar mm -hmm. locations. Um, but I'm curious as to your thoughts on like, you know, I guess four weeks is uh, to my, in my mind, that's somebody hasn't ordered the part. Absolutely. They're, 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 that's not, that's not treating a customer. Unacceptable. Like it should yeah. Be. yeah. Yeah. So when, when do you, I guess, it, but does an online ship or online shop necessarily fix these problems? I guess is the question. Because here's the thought: like he says, like should I just go to a different shop or just order online? Like that's like the final one to like solve the problem. Yeah, I don't think it is. Like an online shop can be just as lazy, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. you can get great service at an online shop and horrible service on the internet, and same thing locally, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that a lot of people are just assuming that like online shops, online bike stores gets rid of the 
bike store no, problem. I, I don't think one is inclusive or inclusive of the other. They both can be terrible and they can both be great. Yeah, it's Absolutely. like a character issue, right? Yeah. Like it's it's like it's an individual person following up on the responsibilities mm. they should have. Exactly right. And yeah. I mean, me personally, I'm a big proponent of independent bike shops. I think they're incredibly important and valuable for communities and really just getting more butts on bikes, right? Because mm. At the end of the day, our industry is going to survive because more people are actually into the sport of mountain biking, into the sport of road cycling, et cetera. So local bike shops do that. That's how I got into riding. You know, my first mountain bike was purchased at a local shop that I had a great experience with. So obviously I want them to stay in business because I want to see the entire community of mountain biking and just people riding two wheels and smiling growing. Yes. Um, but it does boil back down to just good business versus bad business, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're having a bad experience at a restaurant multiple times in a row, you're never going to go back there, right. you know? So it's like, you know, it's it's just complaining is not a strategy. A lot of online bike yeah. or a lot of local bike shops like to complain like, oh, the online guys are killing us. Well, it's, it's just a matter of business, right? I mean, clearly he's had a pretty bad experience, maybe multiple times at that shop. Yeah. Um, if that's the case, then, you know, you, you if you're giving them money at that point, it's kind of like a charity, right? Yeah. Like why support a business that's not treating you with respect and not bringing you value? Yeah. yeah. And if the solution to that is driving an hour to the next town that does have a good shop, or if the solution is going online and buying your parts online or using someone like VeloFix or Beeline, I mean, there's a lot of options these days. Totally. And the people that are going to win in the bike world are is exactly the same as every single other industry. It's the businesses that are well-run, mm -hmm. that truly bring value to their customers and respect their customers and try hard. It's simple as that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, one thing that I think of with this is that um, the, 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 the patronage, I guess, narrative that gets promoted with this and kind of pushed is it doesn't do the bike shop any favors to have more people giving them money so that they can – delay their death. Yeah, totally. Because the reason that they'll die isn't because the bike shop model is antiquated. The reason that they'll die is because they aren't, you know, yeah, doing their business. Their business well. yeah. And if you're somehow clouding that with giving them more revenue, then you're not necessarily doing them any yeah. favors, right? Unless yeah. they plan to write the ship and you're giving them a little bit of a leash to do that. Mm -hmm. But uh, what we could really do, I think, to help a bike shop that isn't effective, rather than giving them our money blindly, what we could really do is say, hey guys, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I really want to support your shop. Yeah, feedback. These are the things that are affecting me. And just let them know and say like, I feel like I should get these things ordered quicker. Uh, I don't know why I'm not getting communicated with, you know, when I order my parts, uh, you know, service takes too long, whatever else the problem is, communicate that and say, these are the things that are making it difficult for me to do business with you. And do it in a constructive manner. Don't yes. do it in a complaining manner. You need to be correct. Very positive about this. Yeah. And if you say those things in a positive tone, that's productive and is trying to help them move forward, you're giving them something invaluable really because yeah. you're giving them the the really the, the keys and the tools and the information that they need to be able to move forward and, and be better. So mm -hmm. I think that the way that we save the bike shop in quotes here, the way that we save the bike shop is by helping the bike shop to be the best bike shop it can. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's the, yeah. I mean, yeah. And that, and that can be hard and uncomfortable and not everyone wants to go in and say, yeah, can I talk to the owner or manager and then give them constructive feedback about their business? Yeah. Um, but if you do it, it's it's helpful, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it'll help any business to go in there and tell the owner and owner and manager, like, hey, here's here's my experience with your with your business, the friction I felt, and here's how you could make it better. And you yeah. know, if they're open to it um, and they change because of it, then they'll succeed as a business. And if they're narrow minded and defensive about it, then it's inevitable they're going to fail. Yeah. Any business that's that's part of it. You have to go in and give them your feedback. If it's positive, great. If it's negative, 
they were going to fail anyway. It doesn't matter. Like <laughs> yeah. exactly what Jeff just said. Yeah. It's something mm. interesting along these lines. We were just talking at dinner about how you guys kind of like drive what you talk about on your YouTube channel, what you write about and everything mm. else. And it's all very much feedback based. It's based off of what your customers are actually saying or yeah. anything else. If you had to operate your business without feedback, I don't think worldwide cyclery would exist as it does today, right? Like, no, not so at all. Any business, no matter what it is, like you have to have feedback. And the cool part about the bike industry is we're pretty tight knit and we're really focused. So we know that like the business owner that owns a bike shop, he likes bikes most likely. Yeah. And mm -hmm. as a result, like you have a really strong common bond. So it's a cool opportunity. It's not like you're going to a grocery store and you don't know if the guy is actually into anything that you are. Like you understand that you have a common bond and you can help each other out. Like you yeah, said, it'd be great exactly. if we had more brick and mortar bike shops. It would it help. Would, it would be awesome. It'd be great if we, if we have more online shops. It'd be great if we had all that stuff. It all helps more people grow. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Um, switching gears again. Again. Yes. Do we have ETAP in this case? Third gear. ETAP Eagle. Where is that, by the way? Why isn't it coming out Shirter's yet? bike. He's hoarding them all. <laughs> He's just got all of them. <laughs> He's got all he of the Stram eagles. He told Stram to stop. I'm just taking all, all the birds. All of the ETAP Eagles. Okay. Entire garage is just full of Eagle ETAP boxes. Seriously, didn't you It's like you little cages it? of eagles. Yeah, yeah. They're all caged up. That's good. Good pun. <laughs> the Raider cage. Sorry. That was yeah. good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, uh, so, but seriously, though, like, what? I'm surprised that's not out yet. Aren't you? Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, I, I guess I am. You're right. Because especially because they've teased it. For right? a year. They've been teasing it on, you know, <laughs> and you know's bike. And it's like, man, I think people might like that. And, you know, so I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, it takes, a, it takes a long time to develop product and a long yeah. time to get it perfect. So maybe they're being He's honest. had problems this year too. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's had two or three drivetrain drive mechanicals. Yeah. yeah, he's had some broken chains, yeah. which we've talked about that before. These shifters with their servos, they, they'll they just drive that chain over. Yeah, And it can be a situation, like I know on um, DI2 and some other things like that when it first came out, I remember people having similar issues. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, It's not like electronic shifting now makes it so that you can just continue to jam on the pedals and, yeah. and grind through gears. Electronic you know? shifting doesn't make your chain stronger. <laughs> exactly, yeah. right? And you're already at the limits of the, the structure integrity of the steel you know yeah. on the chains yeah. anyway at 12 speed so yeah that's a yeah. really good point too the chains are getting really thin yep um but he has had a few mechanicals and yeah. most of them have been chain issues mm -hmm. so maybe they're just refining that sort of stuff it looks like the derailleur on his bike at world <clears throat> champs looked as production as e-tap on the road yeah so and the shifter too and it looks like they're going to be using that same shifter like basically it's a button box. It's not really a shifter, right? Yeah. And that button box is also going to be able to lock and unlock and everything else. On the left side. If yeah, they do a on the left side, yeah. which I, uh, the e-verb. Oh, I'm trying to think if I can say, um, yeah, I, yeah, I can hint at this, I guess, but they, they own Quark. <laughs> yeah. Okay. SRAM does. So they own oh, Quark. That's public knowledge. Yep. That's public knowledge. And Quark is releasing things like the, uh, tire whiz, mm -hmm. the shock whiz. Yeah. Bluetooth capable little devices. I'm sure that SRAM could share their proprietary Bluetooth mm -hmm. protocol with Quark. And there are plenty of other devices that you could make. And I'll stop there. Things like automatic shifting. Hey, maybe. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Some anyway. sort of protocol. <laughs> um, so anyways, yeah. <clears throat> ETAP Eagle needs to come out. Uh, Should uh, we start a hashtag campaign? campaign free, free the, the bird, bird. free the bird <laughs> let's do it free the bird free the e-bird yeah uh, you guys should tag sram and say free the bird please do that all, all our listeners um and you have to tag your eagle drivetrain <laughs> in a picture and just be like free the bird yeah yeah, yeah yeah exactly um the, this is kind of like a controversial one that came up uh, on bicycleretailer.com if you're ever curious about what's going on in the bike industry you can go there bicycleretailer.com 
uh, they, it, a lot of the time it's just like, you know, this person has been hired and, yeah. you know, it's not really like most a whole lot of pretty boring. Yeah. Most of it is. Um, but then again, you know, most of the, honestly, most of the goings on in any industry are pretty boring, including yeah. bike industry. True. It's just how it goes. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the things wasn't, I guess kind of stood out though. And it was, uh, so headlined park tool sues real world cycling over tool color. And I don't know if I'm dyslexic or what, but I saw world and cycling and I instantly went, oh gosh, is it Worldwide Cyclery? Because I just saw the headline and then I clicked in. Um, thank goodness that's not the case. So um, let's let's discuss this. Park Tool is like the incumbent and the big giant. Uh-huh. And they're, su- I shouldn't say giant because that can mean things in the bike world, but the big player. And then they are suing a small tool making company out of Phoenix, um, the, the, which is real world, real world Cycling or RWC. Hard to say. It is, right? Um, but the thing about this, so this reminds me of specialized in cafe Roubaix. Uh-huh. There was a cafe and his name is cafe Roubaix and specialized from what I understand, basically just had a law firm hired out and it was going through like automated searches to find any sort of infringement upon the trademark of Roubaix. Right. And sending decent, uh, Whatever. Cease and desist. Cease and, Cease and desist. desist. I can't talk yep. today. Yeah. So we tired. had too many margaritas. Retired. <laughs> 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 so uh, they sent that out. It was almost automated entirely, yeah. right? It was sent out, but the Cafe Roubaix guy was like, "I'm going to make this a story." Yeah. And he did, right. and holy him. cow, it made a stink. And yeah. Mike Sinyard ended up actually like flying out to the guy's and cafe and having guy. yeah, yeah. and having a conversation yeah. with him. Well, he was a bike shop and cafe, and he That's had his true. own brand of wheels yes. called Roubaix Cycles. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, thanks for reminding the remembering the details yeah. on that. Um, so it was all you know specialized, like clarified. They're like, look, like the point of us going through trademark infringement, every company has to protect their intellectual mm-hmm. property. Um, you know, in this case, we don't want to harm this guy's business, like. No. You know, uh, they kind of said like, you know, we want to uphold our trademark. So we're going to discuss like what we can do here. But, you know, our goal isn't to smash a business or, you know, if anything, they kind of said what we were talking about. We need more bike shops like this. We need Mm -hmm. more things like this. So um, I don't know if that's the case with this one. It's kind of hard. Basically, the story is they have these tools and they're anodized turquoise. They're not blue. They're not blue like any of Park stuff. Right. Uh, But apparently... The anodized that's owned, I guess, or I should say that in this case, Park Tool. So they have one that, that does, and we're looking on the website, does yeah. look pretty blue. The original one looks pretty Park Bluey. Pretty Park Blue. So it's their intellectual property in the sense that, and I wonder if this is the case that basically you can, it's not like they can trademark anodizing something blue, right? No. They can't do that. But what they can do is within the realm of bicycle tools, they can actually claim as intellectual property or as some sort of domain that they control they can actually have, basically it's a branding thing. They can say that, you know, this color is associated with our brand within the bike tools space. And it's understandable. You look at feedback sports, what's their color? Red. Red. Absolutely. Yeah. What is Bersman? Yellow. Green. Green. Ah, yeah. Yeah. But Pedro's. Pedro's. Pedro's yellow. 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 Yeah. Pedro's yellow. So it's understandable. Mm -hmm. I get it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. Um, But they they basically threw a cease and desist Mm -hmm. um, on this, at this guy. So, uh, and he says that he sent them an email and said like, Hey man, like this isn't even within like, uh, the, this isn't even the same color. It's a different Pantone swatch that we use for the anodized. Yeah. And then park tool said that, well, we own the whole spectrum of blue basically. Like, so you can't make any tools blue. I don't know if we own the spectrum of blue, first of all. But, <laughs> so you're talking yeah. scientifically, they don't yeah. own blue? Yeah, they don't okay. own blue. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 If uh, anybody, it's, yeah. what's his name from Sesame Street? Uh, oh, the yeah. blue one? <laughs> yeah, Elmo? No, no, Elmo's No, Cookie right. Monster. Cookie Monster. Cookie Monster's yeah, blue. Yeah. 
So here's the deal. Like, I feel like where this goes from here after is it sounds like he said, like, I sent him an email and said, like, no, man, like, uh, I, you know, this isn't turquoise. This is what he sounds, or this is turquoise. This doesn't even fall within. This isn't the same color. They said we own the whole spectrum. And then I think that he kind of said, um, so in fact, right here, um, he says, I clearly let them know that I would not give up the entire spectrum of blue. And he's trying to tell them like, guys, like it, it's not a problem. Whereas park tool said, stay out of this red box. And they showed him like this red box and encloses blue. So, uh, so a quote here, it says, please let, and then he also sent him, a, a within the email, he said, I don't think that people are going to get confused or my tools confused with park tool. Cause mine are made in the States and they're actually high quality and yours are overseas. Ooh. Ooh. Low, 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 low. Wow. Which I, think, I do have to say a lot of park <laughs> tools aren't great. So he's, they're good tools, but they're not park tool clarified. Top. And park tool says that park tool says it's manufacturers or it manufactures 80% of its products in the U S and the company employs scores of workers in its factory outside of Minneapolis. So I feel like that was where this guy stepped wrong a bit. That was a bit of like a, yeah, a low blow, a little, little personal yeah. there. And that's where it didn't need to get personal. I feel like that's why perhaps Park Tool is just taking a hard stance. Because mm -hmm. I, I, I can't assume that Park Tool wants to eliminate every other bike tool company. No um, you know, competition's good and it's good to have more players in the space, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't think that they're, they're doing that, but the way that this affects all of us that are listening to this, that have no, we are not in the bike industry, but we just like bikes. You know, mm -hmm. the people that are listening to this is you have big players and you get to cast dollar votes, right? So, uh, basically in this case, park tool, I'm sure would say kind of like, Hey man, we gave him a chance. And then he behaved in a manner that we, you know, don't really yeah. want. So yeah. we're just gonna, we're going to actually stand behind our trademark, which is legitimate and they can. So it's up to you. If you but decide is their trademark. Does it cover all blue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have like a spectrum. Okay. It's covered. So, I okay. mean, he's in he's in infringement, right? Like that's just what it is. <laughs> so I'm sure that Park Tool doesn't want to like blast the dude out of the water. Like Steve Jobs is just like blow every yeah. bit of competition out of the water. But it's up to you how you want to cast your dollar votes. And I personally, I don't love the like big bullying tactics. Um, yeah. We've even had like chances to do such things at Trainer Road. And we never do that. We never like, we, we always yeah. try to take an alternate route. So, um, I mean, for me personally, I'm not going to be buying, I mean, I don't even buy park tool stuff that much. I usually buy feedback sports stuff, but I'm, yeah, I, this, this does sour the, the park tool water a bit for me, but I can also understand it. I don't know. Where yeah. do you guys stand? I think it, it definitely doesn't look good on park tool, especially if you just read the headline and you yeah. kind of like skim the article. Yeah. But if you dig deeper and you kind of see how there was that, like, kind of, I wouldn't call it rude blow, but it was a little, it was a little rude, right? Yeah, yeah. On that end. Yeah. Um, and then Park Tool kind of got, a, you know, a little more feisty fighting back. Yeah. I, who knows? I mean, this, this stuff's hard to say. I mean, I can speak from our shop's experience, right, of being almost eight years in business now working with Park Tool. They've been awesome. Their yeah. tools work great. If there's ever a warranty issue, they fix it. They have great schematics, good support. Um, they're, you know, they've been to us. I have nothing bad to say about them. I think they've been absolutely amazing. Yeah. This certainly does not make them look good. I wish I, you know, I wish I could, you know, say otherwise, but it yeah. looks, it looks kind of bad, but who knows, right? I mean, there's probably other emails that were exchanged. Maybe there was some phone calls. I don't yeah. know. There could be a lot more to this story that isn't just detailed in this article. I don't know. It's, it's tough to take a stance on it. And, yeah, yeah. you know, especially for me, it's like, you know, my experience with almost a decade now with Park Tool has been amazing and they've been totally respectful and actually 
actually doing a lot of good things for the bike industry as far mm-hmm. as like, um, you know, sort of minimum advertised pricing so everyone can actually have a margin to help IBDs survive. Yeah. Um, they've done a lot of really good stuff. And in my eyes over the years, uh, this one certainly, I don't know, it's it's hard to tell, but it doesn't look good, especially if you just read that headline. It's kind of a saying, there's a saying where it's like, okay, you take your one example and I'll take the 99 others. Right? Yeah, yeah. And that's like a big thing for us to keep in mind, like yeah. perspective. And the reason that we're bringing this up isn't because we're gossiping around something like this, but this actually happens more commonly than you'd think in a tight and competitive space like the bike industry. Mm-hmm. So since we're the ones casting dollar votes, I feel like we should, you know, think about it. Can we agree though that Park Tools, all of their chain whips suck compared to the Pedro's tire vi- or the cassette <laughs> oh, yeah, vice? The little, yeah, the cassette vice is oh, so much ca- better. The vice grip cassette thing is so much so better. Good. If you um, use the new Park Tool one with the chains on it, that's yeah. like a vice grip. You it's don't not, like, you it's not it, that you great. It too. It's not that great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're not like boutique tools, right? They're like, they're get the job done, awesome working tools, but like you want boutique, go like, you know, Lazine, make some fancy stuff. Yeah. Abbey bike tools. Yeah. Oh, Abbey, Silka. My God, Abby and Silka. Bursman, like, like yeah, all, yeah those Bursman. are all high-end. Those stuff. are Louis Vuitton of tools. Right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But for, like, <laughs> a, for production, mechanical yeah, Park Tools is like the Toyota of tools. Like works, <laughs> yeah. gets a job yeah. done. Yeah, yeah it's, yeah. Not, it's not Abby or I something. I wonder if mechanics are like that. Like, like you know, like you might walk around, if you're into fashion, you might walk around with a Louis Vuitton wallet and feel pretty, or like a clutch or something like that, yeah. feel pretty rad about yourself. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm high class. I wonder if mechanics do that too. Like, I don't know. I only do Abby tools. Yeah. You know? well, it's like, it's like in, in, in bike mechanics, is Park like the craftsman for auto mechanics? Like, you no, I feel like they're really, better. I think they're a little better. Yeah, they're better, yeah, than that. but they're so no sure. Snap On or Matco, right? Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. yeah. Snap yeah. On Matco is next level. Yeah, yeah, yeah I could see but that. But I think yeah, Park's got a lot of interesting advantages too, and like the just the mass amount of tools they make. Oh, right? absolutely. I mean, like, oh, how God. crazy is that? Yeah. Everything you could ever imagine. Yeah, and it's like everything you could even think of. Like, wow, I wish there was a tool for that on this particular weird bike. It's like, oh, right, Park makes that. Yeah, you know, it's it's pretty amazing. For like, yeah. for like, I mean, a software company here at Trainer Road, you saw our bike shop that we mm-hmm. have, and it's like well laid out, and it's all Park tools across yeah. the board because it, it was really easy for us because we could just say we need a bike shop so we yeah. basically just bought the kits they had and it came with everything it's totally good advantage and i appreciate that yeah yeah being the you, main mechanic here you, yeah you <laughs> end up working on our bikes a lot of the time yeah. right um okay uh we're just gonna talk about uh just one more thing and that's what you're here for which is inner bike it's super hot in this room that we're recording in right now we're just i think i'm sweating more now than when we were riding it's like satan's Nether regions. <laughs> yep. All right. So um, you're here for Interbike. Correct. I. How many times have you been to Interbike? Well, I went to Interbike uh, as a kid. I think 16, 17, 18 years old, I went to Interbike. Okay. And that was when I worked at a, a local shop. Um, and it was super fun then because it was Vegas and you're a teenager and mm. you walked around and you got the little stripper cards that the guys handed <laughs> you. And I mean, there's, yeah. it was, yes, just it a was weird. World, yeah. And right? like, and, and back then it was, it was a lot bigger than it was now. And we would walk around the Sands Convention Center and it was, you know, we were mind blown. We had so much fun as teenagers. And then as I went more and more, it got less and less interesting. And then, you know, when I opened up worldwide, I, I went, um, every year for the first three years because it actually had some purpose. There were some important vendors there and they didn't know us and we like barely sold any of their product and I wanted to sell more and I wanted to talk to them and, you know, build rapport with them and make friends and contacts. And so I did that for about three years. And then after that, um, I was kind of done. I had all their emails yeah. and I knew their phone numbers and, and they started to know us and I yeah. started to find ways to make friends with them 
at other events or, or just sort of virtually, right? So then I, I didn't go for years and, and I haven't been in, yeah, I think four years now. Um, so I came this time because it's in Reno and, uh, man, talk about controversial, moving it from Vegas to Reno. I yeah. think there's like all these different people just pol polarized by that. Yeah, yeah. I personally thought it was awesome because I love mountain biking and yeah. being outside in beautiful country. And yeah. I don't really like going to Vegas. Yeah. Not, you know, not now that I'm you know, 17 yeah. and just getting those stripper cards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Vegas to me is like, it smells bad and it's crowded and it's it's casinos and it's just not my thing. It's not my thing. Yeah. Um, but like, wow, outdoor demo at North Star and Reno and mountain biking. I was like, yeah, I mean, but I'm lucky, right? Because most of my time is spent in California, so it's not that far for me to get here. Yeah. So I'm excited to be here. And when I saw that, I was like, man, I could come visit them to be podcast guys since you guys yeah. are out here. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, that's why I came up. I mean, it's it's yeah. that that event has evolved a lot. And a lot of people in the industry have a lot of different opinions on will it survive? Does it matter? Is the Reno thing going to destroy it or help it? I mean, I don't know. It's Yeah. So, who knows? Uh, before we get into the interbike stuff, did, did your opinion on Reno change after today? Yeah, it really did, right? So, I mean, uh, I grew up watching Reno 911 on Comedy Central, <laughs> yeah. and it was one of my favorite shows as a kid. And uh, I, I think a lot of people in California, for what reason, are, I don't know, but have a bad, you know, Reno has a bad reputation, and yeah. a lot of people, you know, around It's earned it. It's yeah. earned it. I mean, it has, right? Yeah. Like, over the years, yeah. like, we, like— Taught like bad marketing stuff. Like yeah. Reno basically said, like we're like the smaller Vegas. Yeah, like that's like definitely. a terrible marketing that's, strategy. That's a bad tagline. I've huh? never heard a <laughs> single person like think that that's a good idea to be second place and be like and say you're like be proud of it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and because we're, we're not even like we're like a very distant. We're a smaller, cheaper. We're not Vegas. even team mid pack over no. here. Yeah. We're pretty yeah. bad. If Still you're going casinos gambling, here, <laughs> there are there are casinos, um, but the riding man and the just yeah. outdoor recreation. Absolutely. No, uh, a good. friend of mine, uh, Lauren Gregg, she's from the same area I'm from mm -hmm. in Newbury Park, Thousand Oaks, and she moved out here a while ago and uh, was talking it up, and I was just like, what on earth? Like, She's I just, a good friend. I, like I just Lauren. couldn't yeah. believe it, you know? And then uh, after meeting and hanging out with you guys and you guys saying the riding was great, and I was like, yeah, okay, well, you know, <laughs> I don't know. But, <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. People say it's good, and then, no, today was amazing. Thank you guys for that, by the way. But, yeah, yeah. yeah three of us drove up, and uh, we took the 395, which is a gorgeous drive from Southern amazing. California up here, and then we rode amazing mountain bike trails all day and had amazing breakfast and an amazing Lunch, lunch slash dinner with margaritas and <laughs> now I'm totally impressed it's, yeah, it's yeah. definitely comical to me to know the reputation this place has along uh, you know from a lot of people in California and then coming here and getting to actually see it for myself I'm like yeah this is a really cool place especially the especially the outdoors part and the riding is incredible here it's pretty sweet uh, thanks for the plug I don't really benefit from it but <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah I don't know but Reno, thank you yeah it is a pretty sweet uh, place Reno Sparks Convention and Visitors Authority thanks <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah, yeah right. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're paying you guys yeah. I, I, your remark about a lot of people in the industry have different opinions on whether interbike will die or not mm -hmm. or whether this will save it. That's the common thing. Yeah. It's like people are saying, will this save interbike? And my thought process is it's too little too late to save interbike. Interbike can pivot and change and everything else, but it certainly won't like make it what it was because, you know, the landscape's changing. Uh, and I mean that yeah, literally, like uh, I guess figuratively, not literally, mm -hmm. but meaning that like uh, – even though literally that's bad pun anyways, uh, because it literally pun. did change. Uh, yeah. but it's, 
you know, it used to be a spot where products were announced and retailers mm-hmm. can come together and talk to brands. And now, you know, it's up to any brand to announce that at any point because they have their own channels and they can make that happen. And they can fly out journalists and, and social media. And got. then the, you know, the deal, the shop yeah. can just contact them and directly order mm-hmm. or work through a distributor and they can get it. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's definitely changed. I don't think that this saves it. I think that, you know, inner bike is itself, you know, it needs to find more value. I know for us at trainer road, it's not, um, it's not particularly valuable. Yeah. Uh, what's valuable to us is the fact that the whole industry is in one place at the same time. So then we can get a lot of meetings done. Yeah. True. And that's basically what I see out of it. In the automotive industry, that's how, you know, SEMA was for us. It, that's what I saw. The value in SEMA was you have so many people in the same place at the same time that you can talk to and, yeah. you know, within your subsect of that world. Yeah. That's the key to this kind of trade show. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious to see what it does. Uh, is it open to the public this year? I don't even know that. Um, it, they've played around with that before. Yeah, and it's a yeah. really not a productive day because it's like the show itself is very much not tailored to the public. No. It's like, you know, nobody has pricing out there. Like yeah. you have to talk to somebody. A lot of stuff's and, not even available to buy. Right. Yeah. Like it's just not really made for that. And there's also not a lot of ton of new products released. So it's not like you're going to go see some really exciting eye candy. It's just. Mm-hmm. You can touch the eye candy that you heard about at Eurobike or at Sea Otter. Yeah. That's really what it boils or down to. Or on, on a hundred other different websites. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Cyclery. Well, you can website. physically <laughs> touch it. That's yeah, all I'm right. saying. You can yeah, physically yeah. touch it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a different space. I don't think it's saved it, but it's really cool to see them have North Star involved. Yeah. Um, that mountain's incredible, and they've had events going on there for a couple of days now. Uh, they're going to continue through. Um, in the end, I think that this is trying to become more of a festival like Sea Otter. And because yeah. Sea Otter has an expo, but it's also a lot of racing. Uh, we personally, Stephen and I have talked about this, we feel that Sea Otter is putting too much into the expo and not enough into the racing. Uh-huh. Um, they need to they need to make sure that they put a lot of value in that. Then you look at something like Sedona Mountain Bike Festival, every single person was stoked to be there. Oh, Brand, yeah, that is a cool attendees, festival. everything else, because that one was purely about riding. Yep. Like, that's like it. Like, yeah. and some companies actually did announce new products there, which was cool. Yeah, but, they did. Yeah. But it was just about like riding and everyone was so excited to be there. So that's like, uh, I see the bike industry coming together actually more regularly because everything is so, f- you know, fractured in terms of every brand speaks on its own platform now. Yeah. So as a result, I do think it will actually physically come together more. And I think we'll see more events like this. And I think Interbike will then at some point it'll be, you know, the name will probably change. I don't know, but it'll basically be like a Sedona mountain bike festival and it'll be like a sea otter and that yeah, sort of thing. Could happen. I think it's a good prediction. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it'd be cool to see. It'd be a good festival to have locally. Yeah. Speaking of predictions, we talked about one earlier today that you made uh, when you so boldly cut your seat tube on your Yeti. Yeah. Uh, You got a, you usually ride a medium, but you got an XL four five. Yeah. I'm a short guy. I'm five eight. And uh, so, yeah, I guess it would spec me as a medium. I've, uh, you know, formerly was a downhill racer. So I like longer bikes. Yeah. And so whenever I hop on a trail bike, I like to ride a a large. Um, And so I just, you know, usually I can fit on a large fine because, you know, as I run 125 mil dropper, no big deal. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wanted to ride a longer bike and I wanted to ride a longer four five. So yeah. I took a Yeti 4.5 frame. This was like, man, over a year ago, a uh, year and a half ago maybe, and I cut the seat tube, and I made a YouTube video about it, and it's like to date our best YouTube video. I think it's yeah. like just about 200,000 views. Taking a hacksaw to a carbon bike will get some views. Yeah, so it actually ended up not, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it ended up not being a hacksaw. I tested that. So, oh, yeah, yeah, that's oh, right. And yeah. I spent, yeah, you can watch the video. The video is totally boring. It's like nine minutes of me talking about cutting the frame. I don't know why so many people watch it. Um, I can't even Because they're on through. the edge of their seat cringing that you You're were right. taking a Yeti and You're cutting right. it up. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I did all these different things. I tried the hacksaw. The hacksaw would end up fraying it. 
I tried different like types of the Dremel and finally ended up realizing like after basically practicing on a carbon seat post um, that the Dremel was was the choice tool to cut the thing and figured it out. And, and man, I, I think I took like eight hours on a Sunday by myself in our shop doing that. And, Just being super careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And got carbon dust everywhere. It was yeah. a total mess. I would never do this again. I totally regret it. <laughs> <laughs> I've cut multiple uh, carbon frames in half, so I know what that's like. But it's yeah. a bit of a prediction, everywhere. you know? Yeah. Like, like you wanted a longer front center and you wanted a shorter seat tube. Exactly right. And now we have SB150 and SB130 yeah. with longer front center. Yeah, it feels, feels good tube. to be right. It's like, it's like predicting <laughs> the stock market crash yeah. on that one for me. So yeah. I'm yeah. stoked. Uh, you got to ride both of those bikes. Your thoughts? I did. No, I'm, I'm impressed. I love them. I mean, it's... Uh, Basically, after I cut the C-tube on that XL45, I really enjoyed that thing because it was longer. Then when Transition came out with their SBG, right, which was kind of just like that longer, lower, slacker, um, but then they did the offset on the fork, right? And I think that was kind of like the yep. final piece of the puzzle to really make it all sort of flow together and, and work yeah. correctly. And um, that's why right now I'm riding a Transition Smuggler, the uh, the aluminum one, uh, which most people make fun of me for because I'm on an aluminum bike, but yeah. I think it's fine and I enjoy yeah. it. And I got it because I wanted to get on that geometry immediately when it came out and they didn't have the carbon right away they had the aluminum first so I got that and and I loved it and I'm still riding it but yeah I'll probably yeah rode the 130 rode the 150 amazing man love them I think that aluminum transition looks better the lines are better than the carbon one in my opinion yeah I agree I agree and powder coating it was a lot easier and it didn't get messed up like other Can we talk about carbon. that really quick too? We're going to end on this. Um, oh, are we? So I, I'm excited to ride the 130, 150. Yeah, um, you'll love them, man. Yeah, I'm excited. They're impressive bikes. Us ambassadors get like kind of bottom of the barrel in terms of like, you know, it goes to bike shops. Yeah. Then goes it's the to same like, thing with employee purchase. Yeah, too, exactly. So I don't have one yet either. We're in the same boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, you have a new bike too. Mm-hmm. And it's the Cannondale Jekyll 29, which uh, can you please describe the way it handles before we get into what you, the monstrosity that you've Hey, let's not call it a monstrosity. (laughs) So how does it Well done. It's it's well done monstrosity. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Just like a bad car crash is a well done car crash. (laughs) Hey, you know what? People watch NASCAR just for the crashes. So let's- That is true. Yeah. Um, So the bike originally uh, comes spec'd as a 150 fork. uh, It's a 150 36 grip two. Mm. And then it's a 150 120 Mm -hmm. in the rear, selectable rear travel. Um, so it's a float DPX two, but it's the Gemini version, which is proprietary to Cannondale. Flip and the so, switch and it becomes more lively and pedally. Yeah. Unflip that switch or yeah. And it becomes plusher switch. and plusher. it's, you know, Big bike. it's rage ready as they say. So, yeah, yeah. so the, the bike essentially, you know, first thing I did, uh, when I got it was I didn't like the color. So we sent it off for, you know, paint work. So we're but, just going to get into this before it handles. No, but <laughs> while it was torn down, I also, you know, uh, put a 160 air shaft in the 36 grip too. So immediately I have not ridden the bike as a 150 as a stock bike. I've only ridden it as a 160. Stepped it up right yeah, off the Stepped bat. it up 10 mils. How does it handle differently compared to the Jekyll 27.5? It is everything that the Jekyll 27.5 is, just a tiny bit less playful. Mm-hmm. And holy crap, is it pointed? It stays on track better. Yeah. It when it hits hard edge thing, you know, objects on the trail, it stays. It keeps its momentum better. Hmm. So and that's always been, you know, what my quip was with the Jekyll twenty seven five was that 
this bike is amazing. It's playful. It's fun. It's fast. It's it's rowdy. Everything about this is great. But I feel the twenty-seven and a half inch wheels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and I've always thought it needed something a little bit extra. It, it, is it so stable to the fact because a lot of people are worried that these big slack long travel twenty niners are going to be guided missiles and not be reactive or quick enough? You saw what we rode today. Yeah, it's no, fine, the, right? the, the thing is amazing. Yeah, it's yeah, fine. Yeah. It's, it stays pointed. It, it it handles any switchback perfectly fine. You know, like uh, on. Uh, Browns Creek, we cross that little, there's a little section where we cross a bridge mm -hmm. and then we have a hard left and a switchback in the climb. And that switchback, yeah. it's tight. a really tight switchback. I didn't even have to pick up front wheel to get around that. Yeah. Nice. I didn't have to lean back and kick the front wheel, you know, to the right. I was able to pull it just perfectly fine. Yeah. yeah. The bike is fine. It's a long wheelbase bike, but right. it handles really well because they put a really short offset fork on it. And although it's a slacker head tube angle and going to a 160, it even slackens it out effectively even more. Yeah. It's a phenomenally handling bike. So now let's, let's elephant in the room being addressed. Jeff, mm -hmm. what did you, so it's, you didn't like the, or you wanted to do your own custom paint job on it. Yeah. You had some great plans laid out. They were beautiful. Yeah. We discussed these plans. I liked them a lot. You mm -hmm. sent them, you sent it off to a painter. Can you describe what you saw Jeff today when you walked up? Yeah, so we all walked up to breakfast to meet you guys, and uh, and I put the bike front and center. By the way, at the first parking spot, yeah, the first restaurant. parking spot, yeah. and uh, I mean it immediately caught our eyes. We, <laughs> we all stopped in astonishment, <laughs> and no one said anything. <laughs> I dead serious. It was just complete silence, and uh, and then and then I broke the silence by saying, "Oh, that's that's Stephen's new Jekyll. He built. He told us he was building a new Jekyll." <laughs> And then, <laughs> and then he just was, walked inside. And it was still silence, and it was like, oh, that's, that's uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't even remember. It was just like that's that's flashy, you know. <laughs> the painter did not do it. Stephen, he wanted. did not follow any of my <laughs> any of my the diagrams, the discussions, the emails, anything. He followed one of the colors that I wanted, the purple, the purple. Just mm. um, he did not follow anything else. The prismatic flake that was supposed to be in it was essentially size-wise is yeah. a point zero zero four inch, which is one two hundred and fifty-sixth of an inch. It's a little bigger than the standard pearl or metallic flakes that would be in like an OEM paint job on a car. Yeah. Just slightly bigger. Yeah. Like most people wouldn't even notice. I notice that kind of stuff. Yeah. Instead, I got a .01 flake. Which, how many times bigger is that? It's like stripper disco ball. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's lot literally an order lure. of magnitude. I mean, it is, the bike is, it's over the top. It's well done. It is. It does look awesome. Like the quality of the paint and where it like goes from one color to the next, it does look extremely well done. And that's impressive. But, but it, it is, <laughs> it is flashy and disco ball fishing lure. I don't know, but can we put it up on uh, MTV podcast, Instagram? We can. Okay. In fact, we should definitely, all right, we'll put it on there. So then people can see it. Let us know your thoughts of, uh, Steven's. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's, it, it belongs in roller kingdom, like but, a, like a roller <laughs> you know roller I mean? skating rink. Yeah. yeah, yeah well, yeah. the funny thing is though, is this bike and I don't think it can have. So after after building it last Friday night and Saturday morning, I ended up um, Googling the, the, just I Google image searched the words Disco Inferno. <laughs> and I literally came up with from the original 70s Disco Inferno, which is a group, yeah. you know, the music group. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, a, a picture from one of their things that was like purple everywhere and a disco ball and like prismatic sparkle everywhere. I'm like, that's the bike. It's so Disco that's Inferno. It, it has to be, Inferno? at this point, it has to be Disco Inferno until... 
in December, it's getting redone. Kudos to i9 on the wheel set. I mean, oh, you bought it. Yeah, Industry looks, 9. They I, look good. Yeah, I bought a set of the Enduro 305s for that. They did all black everything. They did uh, one spoke on either side of the uh, of the valve stem in purple, yep. purple valve stem itself. Um, you and got then Galfer rotors and pads on there. Galfer rotors and pads. Richard over at stickered.com was kind enough to do. Did a great job. Uh, the, the decals were amazing. The fork, the shock, the wheels, everything. It's all done right. So stay tuned to our Instagram. Check it out. Let us know what you think of Disco Inferno. I'm going to rock the bike. If you can still see thereafter to type, let yeah. us know. If, uh, if Instagram doesn't break after we <laughs> upload the picture on the podcast, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. it's a... Uh, the thing is the bike was well done and a lot I've been getting a lot of positive feedback from where I've posted on my personal socials, yeah. um, which is encouraging, but it's still not what I wanted. It's not the <laughs> vision that I had. It's not yeah. the bike that I want to ride. So it will be being repainted, you know, made rad by Tony who recently did Bryn Atkinson's, um, the snake, yeah, uh, pattern Norco. Pretty amazing. Yeah. So he's going to do it in December. That's just the soonest he was if able anybody to wants painted. disco inferno before it's sanded down. Can if someone wants it, it I would be absolutely willing thing. to sell the bike and start another one. <laughs> okay. Um, if it. somebody wants Disco Inferno as she is now. Hey, it's a, it's a look. It, it is a look. <laughs> I'm not going to say it it's is. not hey, a look. Hey, it makes the Kashima not look so bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> you don't even <laughs> notice the Kashima. Yeah, is there a Kashima even, on the bike I don't bike even know. Anymore? I don't even know what any of the parts look like. I just saw blasting purple, <laughs> shiny, flaky. <laughs> Ray Charles did too. Yeah. He saw it as well. Oh, gosh. You're going to have to bleep that out, Steve. Why? Okay. It's fine. With that. Uh, if people want to find out more about uh, the podcast, go to mtvpodcast.com. You can get your bike parts there. If you go through the store link, you can go to um, Worldwide Cyclery and get them there. Uh, if you want to find out more about the, all the awesome content that Worldwide Cyclery puts out, you can go to worldwidecyclery.com. You can check out their YouTube channel, check out their social channels on Instagram as well. You can kind of get behind, a behind-the-scenes look at who the guys are and gals behind that shop. And it's cool because uh, you guys actually know what you're talking about. So it's cool to get to know you guys. You know, it's yeah, actually absolutely. like – it's entertaining. It's not like you're getting to know like Fred behind a computer desk that doesn't know what he's talking about, right? Yeah, no. I mean our so. company's full of really charismatic, fun people that yeah. all love and ride mountain bikes. So uh, we All of them. Yeah. Literally, I all think of them. there's maybe a couple that are occasional ones. Okay. The couple that have to get forced to go out and ride, yeah. but I mean, I mean, it's yeah, that's what Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. pretty. It's, it's about it's over ninety percent for sure. And the ones that don't, like, they still get dragged out here and there. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> sure. Nice. So. Um, so if you want to learn more about worldwide cyclery, you can do it there. Uh, keep your eye out. We're gonna have some fenders, uh, some some Enduro fenders uh, for your bikes that are MTB mm -hmm. podcast printed. Yeah. Uh, they're pretty rad. I have one on my bike. Yeah. It stopped rocks from flying up in to my, my eyes and everything else today and all that sand. So, uh, with that, everybody, thank you so much. We will talk to you soon. Steven and I will actually be recording the next podcast from Canada. Whistler from Whistler. So, uh, we'll keep you in the loop on cool that whip. Cool and whip. <laughs> <laughs> share some cool stories that we'll have from, uh, from, from, yeah, up there. We're going to hang out with Jeff Kabush. Yeah. He's a rad dude. Sometimes. Indeed. He's going to make us hurt on Lord of the Squirrels. I'm going to die. <laughs> it's going to be pretty rough. I just want to die after the descent yeah. because I don't want to like die at the top and be like, I died for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, everybody. Uh, we'll talk to you all next week. Have a nice weekend. Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>